uh, because I love it. Delivering babies, taking care of those mothers. I love midwife. <laughs> That's why I've got five kids myself. When I'm training midwives, I, you know, it's to try and teach them that they've got the power to save lives. If they've got skill and knowledge, they can, they will save the lives of mothers and babies. Welcome to The Mom Pod, a bi-weekly podcast series by Girls Globe about maternal and newborn health and parenthood around the world. Our podcast connects mothers and other caregivers with each other and provides the latest research, interesting discussions, and personal stories on topics related to motherhood, parenting, and babies. My name is Emma saranta Winicky, and I am your host for this episode of The Mom Pod. To mark the Important Maternal Mondays campaign by the Wellbeing Foundation Africa, we are now releasing our new episodes on Mondays. To learn more about the campaign, visit girlsglobe.org or check out the hashtag Maternal Mondays on social media. In this episode, we explore the status of maternal health in Tanzania. I had the pleasure to visit a great organization, Maternity Africa, that provides maternal health services and fistula surgeries to women in Tanzania and other countries in the region. I speak with midwives Katie Christie, Sarah Isaacy, and Nima Gotsenseli, who all work at the Celian Hospital in Arusha, Tanzania, providing life-saving services to women and their families. According to UNICEF, nearly 8,000 women in Tanzania die every year because of complications related to pregnancy or childbirth. That is over 20 women every single day. Midwives like Katie, Sarah and Nima work tirelessly in difficult and resource-scarce conditions to change that trend and to ensure that a birth does not result in death of either the mother or the baby. My name is Katie Christie. I'm a South African midwife. I did my training in South Africa and worked there for a number of years. And then I left home and went to Sierra Leone via Benin in West Africa. I was there for three years. And now I've been here in Tanzania for three and a half years working with Maternity Africa. I'm their midwife, tutor and supervisor. So my role is to work alongside the Tanzanian midwives, well actually local midwives because I travel to Ethiopia as well, to support the midwives in our organisation there. Um, so my job is very hands-on clinical, on the ward, working alongside the midwives, training them in midwifery skills. I mean, you work in many countries, um, so how do you see the state of maternal health in Tanzania compared to maybe some of the other countries you've worked in? Tanzania is for me a very interesting country. I remember when I came here from Sierra Leone in the beginning, in Sierra Leone I was struck how a mum would come into the hospital to have her baby with absolutely nothing and you would use the kanga she was wearing, that's what she would give birth on, you would take her t-shirt off, that's what you would wrap the baby in, she would be left absolutely naked. She had no money to buy sanitary towels. There were just no resources. So I remember when I came to Tanzania in the beginning and the fact that most of the women, certainly here at Selian, 
arrive with a kanga or two or six for the baby. Most of them can afford to buy a packet of sanitary towels. I remember my initial impression was, oh, this is a much more affluent country than, than Sierra Leone. It's been an interesting place to work because in Sierra Leone, the basic level of midwifery care was much lower than it is here in Tanzania as a starting point. But there, there seemed a, a more receptive response to people wanting to improve. Whereas Tanzania is an interesting country that I think sometimes people think they know everything. And so for me, I feel that it's taken us a much, much longer time in Tanzania to gain ground, to improve standards. But we're getting there slowly. Um, but yeah, it's been interesting. So what's some of the biggest challenges for women in pregnancy and birth here in Tanzania? I think one of the biggest challenges, what well, depends where you go, but I mean, we've done outreaches sort of in the Ngorogoro district and places like that, and transport and access to the, to the facility is a massive, massive problem. I mean, there, I remember the one day, this beautiful woman, a Maasai lady, she just had a new baby and I said, oh, did you go to the hospital to have a baby? Or Because Enderlin Hospital was a distance from her, but not miles and miles, you know. And then she just looked at me and said, oh, I had my baby at home because 43 kilometers was too far to walk in labor. And I'm like, of course, it's too far to walk on a normal day, let alone when you're in labor. So I think access, well, transport is a, is a massive issue. Look, it's well documented about the abusive care that lots of women receive when they do access a health facility. And I've always said, and it's something I saw in Sierra Leone as well, I would take my chances birthing at home with the traditional birth attendant from my community who knows my name and is kind to me versus the dispassionate lack of care which you encounter in some of the hospitals so I do think that's a big motivator that women think well if I go to the hospital are they really going to look after me and in my opinion it's a valid concern. In, the, in this area of maternal health care is there any talk of a kind of women's rights and respect for the mother and respect mm -hmm. for women's right to, for example, like choose how they birth. Is there any space for that here yet? Or do you guys talk about that? Or We, we certainly talk about it and we certainly talk about um, the patient being a person with, with their ideas. It's, it's spoken about and it's thought about, but it's not hugely on the agenda yet. And it's interesting because often when other international midwives visit, one of the first questions they always ask me is, so Katie, does every mother give birth on their back? Which, look, before I started doing this, I had a midwife practice in Cape Town. In 12 years, there were maybe three women who lay on their back and had a baby. It's just not what I did. But you know, when you come here and there's no monitoring of the fetal heart rate in the labor, well, you know what? That becomes much more important to prioritize that over a birth position. So all these things, yes, they're issues, and we'll get there eventually, but it's just about the life-saving skills first.
talk a little bit about Maternity Africa. What is yeah. it that you guys do? And what is Maternity Africa? Mm-hmm. And where did it start? So Maternity Africa is an NGO, Australian NGO, but we registered here in Tanzania. It was started by Dr. Andrew Browning, who's an obstetric fistula surgeon. Really, he started the organization in 2012, 2013, but for many years he's been doing obstetric fistula surgery. Um, but then he realized, well, it's a worldwide realization, but he was one of the, the key people to realize it's one thing to treat the fistula, but what about preventing them? Maternity Africa has got two arms. The one is the obstetric fistula repair arm, which Andrew does as the surgeon. And then the other arm is fistula prevention, which is through developing good midwifery skills. So myself, and I've got an um, American colleague, Christy, who works with me. And so we together work on, on developing the midwifery skills side. So do you, you train local midwives? Or yeah. you do? No, so, so our role is, the schools are quite good here in Tanzania. The basic theory that a lot of the midwives get is adequate. But what we find, in fact, not only in Tanzania, in every African country in which we work, there's not a supervision and the training of the clinical skills. Like, for example, we had a, a student here there was, woman, there was a woman having a massive PPH. Literally, we thought she was going to die. The blood was going everywhere. And the student, a little while later, looked at me and said, Katie, was that a PPH? So that, that's the sort of thing that they, they struggle to make the adjustment to what they learn in the classroom to practical. And the problem is, the theory in your head is not going to save a woman's life or a baby's life unless you know the practical skill. So at Maternity Africa, we are entirely focused on clinical skills development. We do do training days in the classroom intermittently to do the theory behind that skill, but then we move on to the skill. So that's why, I mean, 85% of my job is in the labor ward with my gloves on, working alongside just role modeling, teaching as, as occasions occur. Well, that perfectly brings us to the next question, which is if you can describe like an average, I know they're probably very yeah. different, but an average work <laughs> yeah. day that you have here. Well, an average work day when I'm here based at Celia in, in Garantoni, I will arrive at work at about half past seven, quarter to eight. Depending what's happening, always going to the labor ward first to see are there women in labor, what happened overnight, are the, have the other staff coping. So sometimes when we're really busy you walk into labor ward and you don't leave there the whole day. Or what we normally would do is try and have a midwife handover in the morning and for me that's quite an important time because that's the time to teach and you know talk about the individual patients who are in our care. Yeah, and then the day happens, and so whatever that involves, sometimes it's going to theatre to receive babies, sometimes they're midwifery students who placed with us, so it's teaching and working alongside the students. Sometimes, or even when it's quiet, like on Friday it was quiet, and just sitting talking to my Tanzanian colleagues, you know, just having a bit of time to talk about midwifery things and, and discuss. So that's what it looks like when I'm here. And then I go to Dorena, which is a Catholic mission hospital here in Tanzania. We've, Maternity Africa, have placed volunteers there. So I go every three months to do 
clinical teaching in the classroom and with models and things. So I go there every three months and do that. And then our volunteers, for the time that they're there, will follow up on those skills in, in um, the hospital. And I must say, we're really excited Dorade, about what's happened. Dorade is a great little hospital and there's been some wonderful change and some of the midwives are really getting excited about being midwives and that's really lovely to see. Do you have an idea how many birds do you get here on average? Yeah, so we get, last year we have had just over 2,000. So when Maternity Africa started here at Sili and in the maternity unit, there we were averaging about 80 deliveries a month and now we're up to about 200. So we feel excited about that because it means more women are accessing care, more, more women are feeling like this is an okay place, a safe place to come and have their baby. Um, so yeah, we've been encouraged by that. And do most women in Tanzania still give birth at home or? No, I think the statistic here, I stand to be corrected, no, they were, the majority still, 46% will access a skilled birth attendant for their delivery. The rest will be at home. In, in South Africa, it's about 97% of women access healthcare and for, for labour birth. And that does strike you. Like here, the antenatal clinics, they're busy-ish, but they're not that busy. Whereas if you go further south, Malawi, Uganda, South Africa, clinics you can have hundreds of women mm. so there is no there's been a great start but there's definitely more of a journey to go to encourage more women to access health care for labor and delivery so what are some of the hardest things that you have to witness as part of your work for me overwhelmingly the hardest thing is staff who don't care who know what to do and they just don't care I can't live with that. You, you know that you don't always have good resources. You know that more babies die than you ever want to or that you lose a mother. Um, those are the challenges, like the realistic challenges. But for me, the hardest thing is, is the lack of professionalism and trying to encourage staff to be compassionate to treat women like it was their mother or their sister. There are many midwives who are absolutely wonderful. They are fantastic and, you know, I've seen them change and grow and develop and that's so encouraging. But, you know, the one or two that don't, oh, for me, it really breaks my heart. What are some of the most common reasons that mothers die here, either in childbirth or like yeah. postpartum period? So, well, in Tanzania, probably the, the three big killers are hemorrhage, sepsis, and eclampsia. Um, so, certainly we've seen all of those. For us here at Celian, what we've seen a lot of is women who are not necessarily eclamptic, but get the full-blown disease of pre severe pre-eclampsia, go into renal failure, um, have some liver involvement. Because we don't have ICUs here or dialysis, those, those are women that we often are fighting for their lives um, because of a multi-organ sort of um, failure.
What about for babies, either in birth or soon yeah, after? Yeah, so lots and lots of babies still die. I mean, even when I was at the radar the, this time last week, we were talking about, and the midwives themselves said, no, they're quite good at saving mums. They've learned how to save mums well, but they're not doing a good job of saving babies because, um, yeah, through lack of training, it's like it's, it's, the next, it's the next wave to come. So, I mean, infection is a, is a big part of it. Lack of antenatal care, women not accessing, so not picking up problems and then a big problem is intrapartum care care in labor and there's great reluctance to listen to the fetal heart rate to check if it's normal if it's abnormal to respond to that so certainly at the radar last week that's what our teaching was on for six months there we've been speaking to the midwives about monitoring the fetal heart rate in the second stage of labor and we've been, we did an audit on their charts. And the first month, 40% had even one heart rate written. The next month, 37%. I mean, in any developed nation where there's an accountability, you would be asked to please never come back and not work as a midwife. Because it's such a key, such a key thing. So we're really trying to, we've provided Dopplers, We've role modeled how, how do you listen when you've got gloves or how you can, you know, it is a teamwork that your colleague can come and help you quickly just to listen to the fetal heart rate. But, you know, everything's a slow process and you start by identifying the problem, talking about it, finding a solution, implementing the solution. So it doesn't happen quickly. But I believe we'll, we will get there in time. So, yeah, the monitoring in... Um, second stage of labor is a very big issue and what about based on what you've seen in your experience for both mothers and babies which is the more dangerous part is it the actual birth like two babies and moms lose their lives more in the actual birth process or mm. is it the postpartum period there was a very interesting newborn series produced by the lancet magazine <laughs> and they make just a beautiful statement there that, that the most dangerous day for mothers and babies is the day of birth and so that's always when I'm training midwives, I, you know, to try and teach them that they've got the power to save lives. If they've got skill and knowledge, they can, they will save the lives of mothers and babies because at, at least here, 46% of women, and we hope more in the future, are in their care on that most dangerous day. So definitely that's, the, the day of birth for mothers and babies is a... Is a day that needs great attention and care. Do you have any idea how many babies you've birthed? Or? I absolutely don't. You know, I, I used to, before I went to Sierra Leone, I had a record of every single baby I'd ever delivered. But um, since Sierra Leone, I've not kept track. So it must be in thousands. Thousands, no, definitely thousands, yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of babies. Yeah, it's a lot of it's a lot of babies. Yeah, no, it's been a good journey. So, based on what you've seen in Tanzania so far, for well, both for like local decision makers, but also I mean, there's a lot of you know international agencies and organizations working on maternal health. What do you see as the some of the biggest priorities that these like money should be spent on and priorities should be focused on? Like, what are some of the areas? 
Well, I mean, definitely in the training of midwives. You know, here in Tanzania, as in most African countries, nurses are trained to be nurses and midwives. So here in Tanzania, there's a two-year diploma or three-year no, two-year certificate or three-year diploma, and in that time, nurses learn to be nurses and midwives. But for the two-year certificate, they only are taught normal labor, normal pregnancy, normal birth, which is of absolutely no use to anyone. Because no, well, let me not. <laughs> because the women who are dying are when it goes abnormal, and the problem is you never know which totally normal, uncomplicated label, labor becomes abnormal. Which woman's going to have a PPH? Yes, we know the risk factors, but we also know 50% of women who have a postpartum hemorrhage, they had no risk factor, you know. So, um, so education is a key thing. The professionalizing of the profession. And Tanzania is trying that. It's got the Tanzania Nurses and Midwives Council and... The International Confederation of Midwives has really been supporting that in different developing nations to say the way we make midwifery more professional is to have an organization. Have a, um, so, that's, so that's been good. A big problem is there's so, there's so much corruption in Tanzania. And the problem is people donate money, resources, whatever. Does it actually reach the end point of where it needs to? And that is, that's certainly um, a very big challenge. But I do think one of the big challenges in Tanzania is the hierarchy here of the doctor is the doctor, pretty close to God, and the nurse is the nurse and they know nothing. I mean, it's the only country in the world where I've ever had an intern or a house officer, one that came into labor ward, he had qualified two weeks ago he walked in and he wanted to do something and I explained the rationale for why that might not be the most ideal course of events and he just looked at me and he said I'm the doctor you're the nurse and you know I've been a midwife 25 years and every other country the interns learn from the midwives and they come and so there's such a great great arrogance here arrogance with lack of knowledge which is the most dangerous thing. If you don't know, um, like in, in Sierra Leone, I feel like they knew they didn't know, and so were more open. Whereas here, the arrogance is a real danger, and I think that holds things back or um, causes mothers and babies to die. What is, what's the state of access to family planning? Like how much are women able to, or families, but especially women able to decide when they want to have kids and how many yeah. and the spacing of kids, do they have access or? Well, look, Maternity Africa is definitely involved and interested in family planning. It's, it's certainly part of the package. Um, so we've actually procured a lot of the family planning agents which are used here at Celia and we got them donated. Um, and Maternity Africa offers to pay for any woman who wants a tubal ligation, we will pay for that, so it's no cost to the woman. Um, family planning is still very husband-dominated and therefore it's not widely accepted. It's one of those things that comes with education. I mean, I often say, like, I know Sierra Leone and here as well, 
like there's been good education around child immunization, for example. And I feel like women are generally very good at going to a clinic if there's one that they can access and having um, getting immunization. And I feel like family planning is the next wave to come. Um, that a lot of the women are still resilient, resistant to it. I mean, even they're there having their 10th or 12th baby with us, we offer them a tubal ligation or some sort of family planning and they absolutely refuse. But then, but then they are always like, I remember there was one lady, she was so sweet and I think she, she'd had her sixth baby with us and we offered her tubal ligation and she said, no, she wanted it but her husband wouldn't agree. And so I explained that for us, we need the patient to give consent. It's for it. If she wanted, she said, no, she really, really wanted to do it. So I said, that's fine. Any day you come to the hospital, you know, you can say you're going to market. I'll look after your baby because they've usually got to, got to come with a relative to look after their baby. Anyway, she came a few months later and then I'm saying to her, mommy, where's your sister who's going to look after the baby while you go for operation? And she says, don't you remember? It's me. It's me. You said, if I come, you would look after my baby. She said, I'm here because I really, really want to do it, you know. And I just think when women are courageous like that, she had six children at home, she knew her husband wouldn't agree, he had other wives, he was having children. So I'm happy to support a, a woman like that. And as I say, from a legal point of view, as long as the woman's given consent, that's all we need. So the last thing I always want to ask in these interviews um, is what you think the general public can do to help people who care about these things but aren't nurses and midwives and aren't necessarily even in Tanzania. Um, what are the kinds of things that they can do to help? Look, whenever anyone asks me that, my response is always to educate the girl children of the world. Because when you look at things like maternal death, you look at female genital mutilation, Girl children who have education are much less likely to die. When, you know, if you have three women accessing the same health facility, one's got no education, one's got primary education, one's got secondary, the one with secondary education has the least chance of dying. It's just, I mean, there's studies to prove that. So, for anyone, I think if ever you get a chance to sponsor a girl child anywhere in the world to go to get education, but you make sure it's a legitimate thing and that the child really is going to school and really is a girl child. Um, that is overwhelmingly the best thing anyone can do. And then partner with um, like the International Confederation of Midwives. They've got a great twinning program where a developed nation twins with a developing nation. Like in Sierra Leone, the Dutch midwives were the twins. And that collaboration brought so much good, so much sharing of ideas on both sides. So I, I think it's to appreciate your facilities that you have wherever you are and just think of how it is to be a mum in the world who doesn't have access to all these fancy things that we have access to. And then, yeah, the education of girl children of the world. So for any nurses or midwives who might be interested, um, maternity... Africa, you, you take volunteers, right? So what's, if people are interested, how can they look into that and reach you? 
So we take volunteers. Probably the best thing to do is to start by looking at our website, www.maternityafrica.org, um, just to give you an idea of um, our background. We ask any midwife who's coming, they need to have at least two years post-grad experience. We require a minimum of three-month commitment because, like I was saying, I am, you're not coming here to do the job. You're coming here to work alongside, to role model, to mentor. So we wanted people with a bit of experience. So um, yeah, if you look on the website, and then that will also tell you how you can contact us, and you can email us, maternityafrica at gmail.com, and you'll get through to one of us, and then we'll respond and start the process. We generally ask for your CV, some references, we do a Skype interview. Um, yeah, but the, the midwives we've had volunteering with us, they seem to have loved it so far. I suppose if it's, if it's your heart or it's your passion, to follow maybe the things people can do is just appreciate what they have in their own country. The way we work and the level of education I received, I am so privileged, I'm so privileged. And so when you come to countries like this and you see how midwives are educated, um, it's good to share the knowledge. So I think if there are opportunities to partner with um, like the International Confederation of Midwives, they've got a great twinning program where a developed nation twins with a developing nation, like in Sierra Leone, the Dutch midwives were the twins. And that collaboration brought so much good, so much sharing of ideas on both sides. So I, I think it's to appreciate your facilities that you have wherever you are, and just think of how it is to be a mum in the world who doesn't have access to all these fancy things that we have access to. And then, yeah, the education of your children of the world. In addition to Katie, I also had the pleasure to talk with two Tanzanian midwives Sarah and Nima, who both work at the Celian Hospital, where Maternity Africa operates. Okay, I'm Sarah Izaki. I'm a matron of Celian Hospital, but I used to work in labor for almost more than five years. And what is your normal work day like? What do you do here? Mm, for the time being now, I'm just doing supervision for the all nurses in all hospital. But and previously, I was a nursing in charge in labor. Why did you choose this work? Why did mm. you want to become a nurse? Ah, because I, I like it since I was too young. So if I saw a nurse, I thought that maybe um, she's a very special person. That's why. Then when I grow up, I decided to go to nursing school so that maybe I can become a nurse. And what's the hardest part about your work? The hardest part here maybe is when I came with the when I came across with the patient with a dif very difficult situation whereby I can't manage that situation. And for a long time I work with the pregnant women and I was conducting a delivery. But and sometimes and you can find the other client and they can come maybe with the 
maybe abnormal presentation of the babies and we can find and sometimes and we, there is a no doctor around and I can't solve that situation myself I have to find someone what are some of the biggest challenges in Tanzania for women who are pregnant mm -hmm. for women who are pregnant in Lebanon the big challenge and some of them they are staying too far from the hospital and they are some of the culture they allow them to deliver at home when they came to hospital they came because and they had a very difficult situation whereby and they can't solve it at home that's why they came to hospital and what is your favorite thing about your work mm, I, uh, and the favorite thing is when i i i help a mom and maybe she got a baby and the baby is alive when the mom is okay and what do you think um what do you think is the reason that a lot of mothers in Tanzania don't come to hospitals to give birth, but give birth at home? Maybe I think and that is their culture because and from the and previously they used to deliver at home because and there is a no hospital around them. And the majority of them and they thought maybe and it's safe for them to deliver at home because and maybe the one who conducted delivery they, they know them because and they they are staying the in the same society. So maybe I but and sometimes it's very difficult for them when they got a difficult situation even those those and and those people who are doing NTBA and we call them TBA and tradition based attendant they are doing I and they know if the woman had a difficult situation and we it's and they are the one who decided maybe they can go to the hospital but sometimes it's very difficult for them to know because and they don't have uh, equipment they don't do i don't think if they are doing a pv examination to to recognize the presentation of the baby whatever maybe and they are just waiting for the woman to become a second stage in labor so that then they can conduct a delivery only um and what would you say to young nurses or young midwives who are maybe studying still or just starting out? What, is, what would your message to them be? Me, I want them to like their job because and this is a very interested job because yeah, maybe it's the part whereby and you, can, and you can help a mom and a baby. And, and for the nurses, and this is the only part where they can do a decision themselves. So then they can proud because then they can do the whole thing themselves be, yani without communicating or, or without yani, yani without without communicating with the doctor maybe if there is a difficulty situation is whereby they can call a doctor but yani for them and their self and they can do their work and themselves without without asking anyone to do anything. My name is Neema Gotsonzeli. I'm a midwife and uh, I'm working at Celiani, labeled nearly 10 years now. And what is your normal work day like when you're here? Okay, normally I'm dealing in labor, delivering mothers, doing everything that concerns mother and baby. Aha, before Matente Africa, oh, we are very poor and the government is not supposed, we, we don't get enough fund from the government. Since Matente Africa came here, they assisted us with a lot of things. Beds, equipment for delivery, especially, uh, for example, delivery packs, BP machines, mm. blankets, renovation of the labor, mm. 
And what is it like to be a midwife in Tanzania? It's very hard. You have to love it from your heart. Because we are, we are doing the job in a very difficult situation because of this the poor country. How long have you been a midwife? I started this job when it's from 1987. 1987. So it's going to be 30 years. Soon. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm dealing with the labor only. But I know everything, but, but maternity Africa, I like it. Yeah. Yeah, they help us a lot. And you have any patients that have stuck with you? You know, any patients that you really remember? There is one patient, she came from peripheral area. She was trying to deliver at home. Then they, they, they was, she was assisted by this local midwives from the village. Mm -hmm. When she came here, the, she, was, she has this foot limb. And then we call it Dr. Brown, and she, he came and do scissor. The foot was out, it was swollen, very black. One foot. Of the baby? Yeah, of the baby. The baby. Yeah. Then Dr. Brown do the scissor, that baby was alive. And then she, he did the vitel, bilateral tube ligation. Mm. Mm. And what about the baby's foot? Was the foot okay? Yeah, it was, it was only black, but the baby survived. She has been pushing from since morning. No, no, no one was helped her, so she came here. And then we called Dr. Brown at night. Then I did this uh, caesarean section. And if she had stayed home or in the village, do you think she would have survived? Or? No, no, she'll die because we, sometimes we got this rupture of uterus. Mm -hmm. We call it Dr. Browning. Sometimes he did the this total hysterectomy mm -hmm. because the, uh, the uterus was... We called him all the time at night. And what about contraception? Do women, if women want to space their children or decide when they have their children, are they able to do that? No. no, this this the the this are nomads Maasai, yeah. and they deliver a lot of babies. So we we do we sometimes do the counseling here and the education about the family planning. Mm -hmm. We encourage them to do the BTL mm -hmm. because most of the mothers they come with their gravida eight, gravida seven, gravida six. So we, we try to teach them about the contraceptive and the family planning. Is that hard to do? Yeah, so because. You can meet a mother, she has six girls, she wants to have a, a, a boy. It is difficult to teach them until she got what she wants. Mm. If she has one sex, she has to deliver a lot of children so that she can get one boy or one girl. Mm. You mentioned the problem with FGM. Can you say what is FGM and then what, what kind of problems does it cause? Yeah, the FGM is this female genital mutilation. Mm. And this is this tribe here, we are surrounded with this Maasai. Mm. So they always... No mother is coming labeled without they, they have done the FGM. Mm -hmm. So in labor, if you reach a woman like that, if you are not very careful to deliver her, she is going to have this fistula and tear of the, of the perineum. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we got the mother with that and then we call Dr. Brown to repair this fourth degree tear. That is the big problem and they are bleeding. We have to be very careful. In, at, around Dr. Brown is around, and the other Dr. Mbise, they repair a lot of this because of female genital mutilation. We're trying to talk and to give them education, but you know it is very, it is not easy. They are very rigid, and that is their custom. So that's one big challenge. What are some of the other major challenges that you see every day in your work? Mm, a shortage of things, shortage of stuff, this material, medication, medicine. 
sometimes you can enter into labor with no oxygen. You can meet there is no BP machine. Mm. Yeah, a lot of things. And why do you keep doing the work that you do? I love midwife. <laughs> That's why I've got five kids myself. <laughs> I love it. I love me. Yeah. Since I, I started working here, I didn't. They did not send me somewhere. It is only this labor. And no baby died in my hands, or even a mother. I have to call Dr. Browning even is late night. Mm. Yeah, they help us a lot, Kwakwil. Yeah. Sounds like you're very passionate about your work. Yeah, I, yeah, because I love it. <laughs> what do you love most? Delivering babies, taking care of those mothers. Yeah, it is very difficult. When the mother, maybe she came, she has this uh, eclampsia high blood pressure, or that they are bleeding, ah, it is, you can be afraid. But me, ah, I don't afraid of that because I tried my, my level best. If you can send a message to young midwives, to midwives who are still in school or who are just starting their work in a place like Tanzania or some other country where it's hard because you've said that it's very hard, mm -hmm. what would you tell them? They don't are afraid to, to work in labor. Labor is a very interesting place. The place where you can deliver a mother and their the life starts there. So labor is a very good place and it is very nice to work there and they don't have they no they don't have to afraid. And they but they have to start hard to achieve their goals. The, but this place is very good to work. When I was talking with Katie, I asked her what motivates her and keeps her going amongst all the frustration, challenges, and loss she has to deal with during her daily work. And I also asked if she had any particular stories or mothers that have stuck with her from thousands of pregnant women she has attended to during her career. Here is what she had to say. I mean, I've been a midwife for 25 years and I still, every baby, I just get beside myself. And you never take it for granted, you know, just that, that first cry or... No, to see a midwife who begins to take responsibility for her job, who gets enthusiastic, starts learning, starts thinking, oh, I want to be really good at this, that makes me very full of joy. It's my passion. You know, I mean, I always say, you don't set out to do these things. I feel like midwifery found me. And also for me, my faith in God is a very big part of my life. And Maternity Africa is a faith-based organization. And so I think God's quite clear to tell us to take care of the poor and have mercy. I love teaching midwives as well. I love working alongside them and, yeah. I, I always say when you're doing it, the highs are very high and the lows are very low. And I found anger inside of myself, which I never knew even existed. I think a lot of people wouldn't think I'm a particularly angry person. But there have been some events that have just, um, yeah, been quite overwhelming. There's a patient, Maria, was her name. When I arrived in Arusha, she was a patient in the ward, yeah. She was 43 years old at that time. She was on her fifth pregnancy, but she had no live children. Because, well, she'd had various complications then. She had this fibroid. She couldn't keep her pregnancy. 
Anyway, I mean, I know you should never have favourites, but for whatever reason, she just became one of my favourites and she was in the ward and we just kept hoping and praying every day that she would carry this pregnancy. So she was 16 weeks pregnant then. So she stayed with us in the hospital and then at 37 weeks she delivered a little girl, baby. So that, I mean, at the, for me that was, even at that time, was exciting and, and in fact Maria works so her husband always brings that baby who's called Katie to visit me here and then I'd been back in South Africa on a three-month sabbatical and my very first day at work like two weeks ago the husband's standing there at the labor ward door but he's got a baby and I said to him whose baby's that he said no it's Maria's baby I said what Maria had another baby. He said, no, she didn't just have one baby. She had twins. So now she's well into her 40s. She, this uterus that could never even hold a singleton pregnancy has now allowed her to deliver twins. So for me, I mean, Maria is one of my absolute joy stories. Yeah. No, and that was the thing when I met her, because she spoke a bit of English, because when I arrived here, obviously I couldn't speak Swahili. No, and I mean... You know, she'd had a lot of depression in this, to be a woman without children in Tanzania. Culture is a very, very hard thing. And um, it was a real pain for her. And so her joy was fulfilled. Now she has three. Yeah, now she what has about three. the twins? Are they girls? Or? Two boys. Two no, boys. So she's got a girl first and two boys. Yeah. And the girl was named after you. She was named after me. Yeah. That's very interesting. Yeah, it was very special. It was very special. Midwives like Katie, Sarah and Nima save countless of lives of mothers and babies every day, everywhere in the world. Midwives really matter, not only to mothers, but to all of us. Because when mothers and babies survive and thrive, societies can thrive as well. You can learn more about Maternity Africa from their website www.maternityafrica.org. Remember to also visit girlsglobe.org where you can find more information about this organization, our previous episodes, and about the Maternal Mondays campaign, and also learn what you can do to pitch in and raise your own voice for mothers and babies around the world. Thank you so much for listening. Our next episode will air in two weeks, and we hope you'll tune in again. <laughs>